one of the most common forms of regret or what you're speaking to, which are regrets of boldness. I wish I'd spoken up. I wish I'd had the courage to speak up. That is one of the top regrets that people have. And so if we know that, when we have those moments where we want to shrink and then we want to let fear dictate how we show up, we can instead tell ourselves, you know what? I, regrets of boldness are one of the most common regrets people have. I will not be someone who has a regret of boldness. Welcome to On Her Terms, a podcast that helps women nurture their unique personal power and channel it into creating a life that is truly their own. I'm your host, Krati Mehra. Today's episode is very, very true to the theme of this show. Bold women living life on their terms with courage and confidence. And just in case you are struggling with that side of yourself, this episode will be a game changer for you. Today's episode guest is Rachel Druckenmiller. And when I started recording the interview, I was in something of a post-migraine haze with my brain all sluggish and foggy. But Rachel had me alert, aware, and fully energized in no time. I mean, she really brought it. This was such an incredibly informative, fun conversation, and it was great being in Rachel's company, even if it was a virtual hang. And one of the reasons I loved it so much, and one of the reasons why you love it so much, is Rachel's confidence, her self-assurance, her swagger almost. (laughs) I really enjoyed just being in her presence and talking to her. And another great thing about this episode is that it's jam-packed with guidance for women who are looking to up-level. We talk about setting better boundaries at work and how women can ask for more, beat the odds, and really truly embody their worth. And something we've talked about before on the show, confidence is a soft skill. It's It's a muscle. And for it to grow and strengthen, you have to exercise it and you have to exercise it often. Now, what we have here today is Rachel giving us step-by-step instructions on a variety of exercises we can do to strengthen our confidence. And she's such a great instructor because every exercise is hella fun. (laughs) Another thing that makes this conversation really cool is that Rachel really reminds you to value yourself and how you can teach other people to treat you with respect. We covered a lot of very important topics during this conversation and I cannot wait for you to dive in, but let me first introduce my guest. Rachel Druckenmiller is a keynote speaker and the founder and CEO of Unmuted. And through refreshing and interactive keynotes, workshops, training, retreats, and team building experiences, Rachel energizes, engages, and empowers leaders and teams across a wide range of industries. Recognized as a Forbes Next Thousand honoree in 2021, the number one health promotion professional in the US in 2015, a 40 under 40 game changer in 2019, and one of the daily records leading women of 2020, Rachel is a is a national thought leader in the field of well-being and employee engagement. And after this interview, to me at least, she also feels like a very upbeat high energy force of nature. Now, I hope you're excited and locked in because as I said, this interview is full of advice and guidance that you need to make a note of and execute to see some really great shifts in your life. So let's dive in. Thank you so much for being here, Rachel. I'm so excited to have you on the show. And I'm familiar with your content, so I know that you have stories and insights that my audience will really, really appreciate because this show, it's all about helping women show up as their boldest, most confident self and living their best life. And I know that you are someone super qualified to talk about that. So thank you so much for being here. Of course. Yeah, that's that's what we're all about. We're going to people are going to walk away if you're listening right now. Like, stay tuned because when you walk away from this, you're gonna be, you're gonna be awakened and activated to take action on some stuff and get a bit bolder. So we are, we are ready for you, and we're gonna bring it. Awesome! I'm so glad uh, we're starting on such a high point. So thank you for that. Um, yeah, I, I really wanted to ask you something. I've been to your website. I have heard your interviews, and you are very, very impressive. 
but there's something that really stood out to me and it was your story on your website there was a time when you were a very different person you were a lot more reserved you were a lot more muted and you you derived your value from your academic or your uh, professional performance but something must have changed right because you're a very different woman today so i would love to know a little bit about that journey about what it was that made you the woman you are today so the journey from being that reserved quiet woman to the Rachel that you are today well i would say one thing is true it's like something that's i think important for each of us to be aware of is the thing that was a vice for us at some point in life the thing that was kind of a uh, something that we maybe didn't want to be true of us but is true or a certain tendency that we have sometimes we just want to get rid of certain tendencies but i think what's helpful and I'm going to get back to answering your question, but I just want to couch it under this, is that I've always been achievement oriented and I'm still achievement oriented. Like I still very much care about accomplishing big things. And I think the thing that's shifted the most is that I don't only care about that. So it's about looking at, there's nothing wrong with wanting to do, to accomplish things in your life and, and get recognition and appreciation. There's nothing wrong with any of that. Um, and I don't think we should apologize for it. And at the same time, I think the trap happens when we allow kind of, we pour all of ourselves into that focus and we're just focused on how can I be impressive at work? How can I be impressive at home? How can I be impressive online? How can I, and it's, it's exhausting, right? It's exhausting. And I think for me, we don't often go through significant transitions in our lives without going through an experience that maybe we didn't want or didn't ask for. And for me, one of my most significant shifts was when I burned out and got mono five years ago. And I had been, you know, kind of a workhorse my whole life. I was, you know, getting good grades in school was what defined me in school. And when I was growing up and as an adult, getting awards and recognition and, and all of that helps me feel a sense of value as an adult. But then when I burned out, I, I had had a dream I was drowning. So anyone who's listening, if your dreams can tell you things that your conscious mind tries to shut out. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You've probably experienced that, right? Where you've had a thing where. Yeah. Maybe, <laughs> I think a lot maybe. of people are nodding their head right now, I think. <laughs> it's like the body doesn't lie. There's a book by a guy yeah. named Bessel van der Kolk, right? The body keeps the score. The body knows, right? Like, Absolutely. Agreed. My body knew. My body said, look, you're not quite getting the message that you're exhausted. So I'm going to send it to you in your sleep. And you are going to have a dream that you are drowning, which is I was in my kitchen. I was in the dream. I was in my kitchen and it kept filling up with water and then I was panicked and then a door appeared and I opened the door and all the water drained out and I was left standing on my kitchen floor on this wet floor looking around like what the heck just happened. And I woke up from that dream and I wrote about it in my journal and then I did what a lot of us do. I didn't change anything. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, that sounds familiar I was like, too. <laughs> right? Like noted. Okay. Thank you. Got the dream. Next. You know, and then about a month later, the thing that really started to mess me up, I was only 32 at the time. I started to have trouble with my memory. So okay. I would be in conversations with people and I would try to find a word I wanted to say and I would literally felt like my brain just would temporarily shut off and I'd be like, or I'd be talking about something and be like, um, so I, I don't even know what I was talking about. Can you remind me what I was talking about? Like, which this was not good, you know? So I went to see a doctor, an integrative medicine doctor. I'm a really big advocate of integrative medicine functional medicine, anybody can search that where they live. Right. And I told him this. And of course, like a lot of us do that are worriers, I went online and I was like, oh my gosh, I probably have like early onset dementia. Like not to joke about that, but that's of course like where I went, you know, like it's probably this. So I talked to my doctor and he goes, he looked at me with kindness and compassion. And he said, um, maybe you're doing too much. Ugh. No. Like we're all superhuman, right? Don't, doesn't he know that? You know, like all of us listening, we're like, no, no, no. I have a different capacity than everyone. I, yeah, can... I think you said that like yesterday. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, oh no, other people have to stop, but I can keep going forever and ever and ever. And I can do all the things and I expect myself to do all the things. And I tell myself that everybody else expects me to do all the things perfectly without pause, without needing to take a break or step back or say no. So I ignored him. And then 
about a month and a half after that, I got really sick and I lost my voice for a period of time. And I had swollen lymph nodes and I was fatigued and I was exhausted and I did all the things. I was a health coach too. I did all the thing. I drank kale shakes and took, you know, supplements and I didn't seem to get better. And it was two, almost three months later that I went back to the doctor. And I remember he looked at me and someone listening needs to hear this right now. He looked at me. I was supposed to be at my Valentine's Day dinner with my husband, by the way. And instead, my husband is sitting next to me in the doctor's office at six, at six o'clock at night. And my doctor said, would you say this was brought on by work or that you brought this on yourself? Now, like, what do we want to say in that situation? It's like my job, my boss, so-and-so, my husband, my kids, I want to blame everybody else. Oh, yeah. You said yes to all of it. Like, own your role, you know? And it was so, I, I had, I remember a tear, my face was warm. I remember just like tears rolling down my cheeks as I was sitting there looking at him, feeling the weight of the reality of the response to that question that I didn't even need to say. And that was the beginning for me of sometimes I find when we bottom out, we open up in some ways that when we, when we hit a, a low point, we, we suddenly become aware and awaken to things that we we're just ignoring or pushing through. Yeah. And that's what shifted. That's really what shifted things for me because I started to, well, I was sick. I was diagnosed with Epstein-Barr virus, which is an acute form of mono. Wow. And I had no, I did my normal energy level. I did not have for at least seven or eight months, which my energy is why people hire me. Like, like we want someone to come energize a speaker, you know? And I didn't have the thing and I lost my voice. My voice would go in and out. Like, so I would, I would, I would lose it for several days at a time. It would weaken. It wasn't, and I was scared. I was really scared. But the, the greatest gift of that time was the importance and the power of pausing and opening up, being vulnerable with people, letting them know that I was struggling, letting them know, like going to therapy, being honest with another person and not telling her a bunch of nonsense and doing a lot of journaling and listening to devotionals and listening to music and listening to sermons and reading books and having conversations with people that were hard to conversations that were hard to have. You know, I just opened up to so many things around me when I was at my lowest point. And that was what really started to, to shift things for me in terms of me feeling like I'm now like living more aligned. And that's been over the past five and a half years, that journey has been happening. That is quite the journey. And you're absolutely right. There's so much to relate with there. There's so much that sounds so familiar. But I have this one question, like whenever I'm talking to my clients and we are discussing fear, self-doubt, and they want to show up in a more confident way, I always tell them to tie their emotions to their mission. Mm. I always say that you've got to be emotionally invested to, to really show up fully for whatever goal you're setting for yourself, whatever it is that you want out of life. Because when your emotions are in that mission, everything you do, your drive will be heightened. It will be amplified for you. And not going forward will no longer be an option for you. You will wake up every morning determined to get shit done. But uh, the problem with that is the more emotionally invested you are, the less perspective you have. And the less you're able to step back when you need to, like when your body demands it. So I really haven't found an answer to this because I do feel like that, yes, for you to uh, really accomplish something big in your life, you have to be completely focused and invested and driven. But also, obviously, you have to take better care of yourself. You have to have like a better balance there. So for all of those people out there who want to do great things with their lives, but they also want to enjoy good health and well-being, what would you tell them? What is the trade-off here? I would really love to hear your thoughts on the subject. Yeah, I have the perfect answer. I have some thoughts. I don't have, I don't have, I have some thoughts. Maybe here's, I'll offer some questions that might be helpful for folks listening to help them get a bit of clarity. Okay. Right. Because I think questions can really help us to just think in a new way about a thing, you know? So absolutely. So one of the questions I think we can ask ourselves on a daily basis with, if we wanted to, with every decision we make, I mean, that would be exhausting, but with every major decision, if I say yes to this, what am I saying no to that matters to me and to those that I love? Right. So I say yes. I've had people frequently ask me like, hey, can you pop on my live show at nine o'clock at night on Wednesday? 
Sometimes I've done that most of the time now. I don't because you know what? I see what happens to my sleep when I'm really revved up right before I go to bed and it messes up my sleep for the night. And I'm like, I love you. I support you. But I'm, I'm not going to be on the show at nine o'clock at night. Like I'm not going to. And that's hard for me because I don't want to disappoint. Sometimes we're, we don't want to disappoint. We don't want to let down, let people down. And we think that by saying no to something that we're going to let somebody down. But we're often much more concerned, I think overly concerned, speaking from experience, with letting other people down and not nearly enough, not concerned nearly enough with letting ourselves and the people that matter most to us down. We don't think about that as much. And so I think that's one shift we can make is like, if I say yes to this, if I say yes to watching one more episode, like there's a show on Netflix called Indian Matchmaking. My husband and I like to watch <laughs> It's just a new season just came out or like whatever, a limited series or something or a Ted Lasso or whatever. It's like that episode will be there tomorrow. It is 10 o'clock. If you say yes to another episode, you are saying no to about an hour and a half more sleep and you need rest. Go to bed. Like, yeah. Or even being willing. Sometimes we think deadlines are absolute. So a client says, I need this from you by such and such. Maybe they don't even say what date they need it by. Maybe you're talking to a client about scheduling something or getting something over to them or getting a proposal. I might, my case might be a proposal for a speaking engagement, right? I say, oh, I'll let you by Friday. And they're like, oh, oh, that'd be great. And then Friday comes and I'm like, there's no way I'm going to get this done by Friday. And then I could message them and say, hey, any chance, like, when is your next, like, when do you need this by? Like sometimes we put self-imposed deadlines on our, like we put deadlines on ourselves that are not actually somebody else's deadline. And so often they might say, oh, our meeting's in two weeks. Can you just get it to me by like next Friday? And I'm like, if I'd only asked, like <laughs> I would have saved myself stress, yeah, you know, absolutely. like, so ask the question, like ask, can yeah. this be delayed? Yeah. Could I delegate this if there's something that you're working on? Do you need to be the one doing it? Could, you know, I have some team members that do, you know, different things for me, whether it's scheduling or admin or reporting or some marketing stuff. And I was previously doing all by myself. And I was like, you cannot do your best work as the face of this business yeah. if you are doing all that other stuff. So you need to ask for it and you need to hire help, Rachel. You know, so maybe that's that's what it is. And the last question I'll offer, and then I'll take a pause. The last question I'll offer is to think to yourself, a mentor of mine, Simon Bailey, asked this question four or five years ago at an event I heard him at speak at. And ever since then, I've asked myself and others the same question, and that is, who gets the best of you and who gets the rest of you? Yeah, yeah, that's helpful. It helps us reprioritize if we're honest about the answer. Absolutely. Absolutely. That was amazing. Everything you shared is so helpful. Thank you for that. Um, but let me just walk the talk here and just add a little force to what we are sharing here. Yes. So this, this is my second, second last podcast interview that's happening after midnight. It's midnight here in India. It's 1230 a.m. And this is the second last one that's happening. There's another one happening next week, which is, in fact, happening right after our live workshop which is crazy. It's going to happen at 1am. But these are the last ones. And I have no other interview scheduled because I'm really committed to now working out a routine that is compatible with the recordings that I do with people from all around the world, which means that sometimes our time zones are so different and so far apart that, you know, I have to stay up late at night. But I'm so committed to figuring out a routine that works with the podcast and that also is, you know, allows me to sleep through the night, enjoy better health, so I have no other interview scheduled, which is very, very scary for a podcast. I mean, what am I going to share? <laughs> but I will figure it out. But what I'm not willing to do anymore is endanger my health. Because I've also learned recently that people who work through the night, like working through the night shift, it's like a carcinogen. It's that, it's like smoking. It's that bad for your health. And I'm just doing it even though I'm a business owner, which means that at least to a certain extent, I can set my own hours. Despite that, I'm just just playing fast and loose with my body. And that's so crazy. So yeah, those are, I think, huge things for me. And yet, for some reason, I kept like not prioritizing them, which is something I know a lot of women tend to do. They don't prioritize the things that really matter to them. And they prioritize their business, they prioritize their clients, they prioritize everyone else 
but except for the things that really do matter to them. And I really would love to discuss with you why that's so difficult for women to do. I know that it has a lot to do with cultural, uh, with our culture, with our upbringing, and and just the, the role that women have had from like the beginning of time. But we have been having a lot of conversations around self-love, self-care. And despite that, it continues to be so hard for women to, to prioritize themselves. I mean, why are you not your own priority? Why is that so hard? I think one, I think we're commended for it. I think women are seen as being very relational and women are, to your point, culturally and historically and from a, you know, across time standpoint seen as the caregivers, you know, and, right. and, and seen as those that look after others. And so I think the messaging that comes with that, because that's how we've been sort of socialized to think that women, the role of women is to like, you know, create and care for life. Like that's our yeah. primary role. Yeah. And so I think we haven't challenged that enough. We haven't challenged or questioned that we've just carried a, it's a story. It's a story that if, if I am a good, if I'm a good woman, then I'm available. I'm a good friend. I'm a good daughter. I'm um, taking care of my body. I'm meditating. I'm doing excellent work for my clients. I'm controlling my emotions. I'm talking to a therapist. Like, yeah. oh my gosh, how exhausting. <laughs> like that we put all this on yeah. ourselves. And so I think a lot of it is that we've tied our identity We've tied our identity to our ability to serve and support other people. And independent of serving and supporting other people, I think a lot of women don't know who they are. Yeah, that is so true. Or that they have inherent value. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I agree 100%. And this is a huge point with me as well, because I really do believe that when you don't know who you are, when you don't have a solid personal identity, you're going to be so vulnerable to the external world, to the to everyone's opinion. Every little thing is going to find a home in your mental space. Every mean comment is going to have you, you know, scrambling to figure out, is this true? How can I be different now? Because if this random person who doesn't care a damn about me and this random person who probably doesn't even know me thinks that I'm a little bitch, well, then I must be a little bitch yeah. and I got to be nicer. It's like, well, it's taking oh what somebody says as, as like the absolute truth and like everyone can have their opinions just because someone has an opinion about you doesn't mean it's yeah. true, you know? Yeah. So opinions require <laughs> I think, the least amount of intelligence. I mean, children, little children who have barely seen the world have opinions about everything. So yeah, <laughs> come on, people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, cu curiosity requires a great deal of intelligence. Oh, and I think curiosity, first and foremost, toward ourselves, and I, I'll give you a question that might be helpful for you and anyone listening that is struggling with that identity question. So so often we think about, there's a book called Atomic Habits by a guy named James Clear, a really great book on habit formation. Yeah. And one of the things he talks about is how often when we come to things like goal setting, like for women, it might be like, I want to, I want to lose weight or I want to... Um, I don't know, I want to be a good friend or I want to, right. whatever the thing is, like we have some external goal outside of ourselves. I want to be an involved parent. Instead of getting back to what kind of person do I want to be and what would that person do right now? So for instance, what kind of person do I want to be? I want to be a person who respects myself as much as I respect other people. All right, what would someone who respects themselves do? Right. They would advocate for themselves. They would set healthy boundaries. They would speak up if a boundary is violated. I'll give you an example. I had a, a very dear friend spend the weekend with me last weekend. I, it was my first time ever as an adult, truly, that I had a friend stay for the entire weekend um, with me. I mean, I, my husband, but like that I've had a friend stay. And we stayed up kind of late on Friday night. She got in late Friday night. We stayed up late. I did not, I wear a device in my wrist called a WHOOP band, W-H-O-O-P, that like gives me all this data about myself and helps me. I got it after I burned out because I could tell right. I wasn't very good at regulating myself. So I needed something yeah. to help me regulate myself. Um, so knowing that is important. Like, are you somebody who needs accountability? This gives me accountability. And so I woke up Saturday morning feeling like really just crummy. I felt tired and I was like, I don't want to feel tired this whole weekend with one of my dear friends. So Saturday night was coming along. We were going to go out to dinner and I said, 
I love you and I'm going to need to go to bed early tonight. Like, so I can be fully present with you tomorrow, but like, we're going to have to like wind down our stuff by like 10 at the absolute latest at the latest. Yeah. And she totally understood, but we're often so afraid that if we ask for what we need or we communicate what we want, that it is going to be like the end of the world for another person. So true. So, so true. And so we don't speak up and we don't advocate. That's for me why, I mean, a company is called Unmuted, right? And this is one of the ways I so strongly believe in unmuting ourselves is speaking up and advocating for what we need and what we want without apologizing for it. Right. Having needs is okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's so true. Having a clear value system. Who do you want to be? What do you want to stand for? What do you want to represent? What do you want to fight for? All of those things, I think that they really, really matter. Having clarity around those things is so important. And then also figuring out a way to make those work for you. Like just those values have to show up in your action. So I would love some clarity around this one uh, thing that very often comes up with women. You have a value system. You know what your priorities are. But if you're a woman in a corporate setting and you're aspiring for more important positions because, you know, nothing is off limits to us anymore. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we, we want the higher position. We want the more important projects, but in a corporate setting where hustle is glorified and obviously, you know, I, I really do believe that hard work is very, very important and you have to really earn what you're going for. But if you have a system wherein your weekends are reserved for your kids and that's your priority on weekends, but you are also able to balance that with work and show up fully for your work, but if you set that boundary and you communicate that in a work setting and you let people know that, yeah, uh, I'm going to get this stuff done, but I'm not going to be working over the weekends, they will believe that, okay, she's got too much going on. She clearly cannot do this because really in a corporate environment, whoever is willing to hustle does get the more important projects. So how do you make mm -hmm. that work for you? So I think it's a great question. I mean, I think, and I worked in corporate for 13 years. I worked in corporate America for 13 years before going out on my own right. three years ago. And so I understand being in that space, especially being a young woman trying to make my way. And there were times where I for sure had to like, you know, be very, uh, very assertive with myself and what I wanted and what I thought and asking for promotions. And I'm happy to share during this conversation at some point what I did actually instead of asking for a promotion, there's something else different. So if you want to flag that, I can come back to it and give people a tip <laughs> right, on how to, right. how to ask for more money without doing it the, tra the traditional way. There was, so, we have a perception about what's going to happen if we communicate a firm boundary. Yeah. Okay. We have a, it's a story we tell ourselves. Oh my gosh. If I tell them I can't do this. And if you're always walking out the door an hour before everybody else is walking out the door, people are going to wonder about that. Right. Um, part of it is understanding the expectations of the organization where you work. And if, if it's glorified, if they're communicating to you, hey, we really want you to have work-life balance, which a lot of companies are these days, especially. Yeah, right. But then you're seeing emails get pinged back and forth at 9.15 at night or on 6.30 on a Saturday morning. Here's the thing that you have a choice to do. Don't log in. Like I communicated to people when I worked in corporate, I would go on vacation, right? I'd go on vacation sometimes for as much as like 10 days in the summer. And I remember I would walk by the front desk and I, Wendy was the receptionist. I said, Wendy, I'm going to be out for 10 days on vacation. She said, oh, do you want to leave a number? Like in case a client has a question. I said, yeah. um, no, like they'll figure it out or like I'm not closing the hole in the ozone layer. Yeah. Like they know I'm gone and there's other people that work here. And if they really, 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 really need something while I'm gone, someone, someone can find it or they might just have to wait till I come back. Right. And so many of us are so afraid of setting a boundary like that because we think, oh my gosh, if I disconnect for seven days, if I disconnect for three days, people are going to think that I'm not committed. That is a story you are telling yourself because I guarantee that there are people at that company that are respecting their own boundaries and not doing that. And if they're not, if everyone at the company is responding to emails at 10 o'clock at night and six o'clock in the morning on a Saturday, you have to ask yourself, is this a place where I want to work? Yeah. Is this place aligned with my value system of honoring non-work time. And if it doesn't, if you're the only person, then you may not fit in at that job. And you have to ask yourself, do I even want to be here? But if you see some people that are like, oh, that person never responds to those emails. That person always responds to those emails. 
you don't necessarily know why, but you could make the choice about how you're going to show up. So you can communicate, hey, just so everybody knows, you know, I really, I, I really value my weekend time. And so I will respond to emails up to six o'clock on Friday and I'll log back in at eight o'clock on Monday. Yeah. But anything over the weekend, you know, I'm not going to get. Um, but I trust that if something needs to be addressed, that it'll be taken care of. And um, I'll be back online on Monday morning. We teach people how to treat us. So true. That is so true. And thank you for sharing that because women need to hear that more than anyone else. And I'll tell you something. I have been in positions where I would be getting blood drawn from one arm and taking a phone call and answering questions about some meeting with the other hand. With my boss telling me, well, you're on the phone, so you can't possibly be that sick. Uh. And I'm like, what? I am sitting in a hospital. I, I went to a hospital because I have fever that won't go away. But apparently I'm not sick. So, okay. And at the same job. I had a boss who was so obnoxious. He would use hand gestures. Like he would snap his fingers to call me. And he would scream at me. Like he would call me up at 3 a.m. in the morning and scream at me for work that he's supposed to do. It was such a horrible work environment. And at that time, I was already in depression and was getting progressively worse, of course. But why I'm sharing this story, because ultimately I ended up quitting, obviously, because that place was just horrible. It wasn't just him. It was everyone in that office. It was just a bloody toxic culture. But what I regret is not pushing back sooner and not pushing back harder and, and leaving without letting these people know that what you're doing is wrong on every level. You're not even treating human beings like human beings. You talk in a way that even that anybody would be embarrassed of the way you talk to each other, the way you treat each other. But I didn't, I didn't say any of those things, and I really regret that. So to those who are listening, I would just like to say that do not put up with toxic treatment. Don't put up with disrespect. And it is mm. disrespectful when someone expects you to mm -hmm. show up all the time and just have no personal life. Hey there. I hope you're enjoying the episode. I'm taking a quick break here to remind you to subscribe to On Her Terms. Subscribing means that you get the latest episode without fail delivered to you every week. And it helps me reach a wider audience. If you haven't already, please pick up your phone and subscribe now. Let me know that you appreciate the content I'm sharing. Thanks in advance. And, mm -hmm. and when you fail to defend that mm -hmm. boundary, you're going to regret it someday. Because that is such a huge opportunity for you to flex that muscle. And if you don't, you're going to regret it. I regret it. So like what you're sharing is there's a book I read a few months ago called The Power of Regret by a guy named Dan Pink, who's a New York Times bestselling author. And one of the things he talks about, he says there's four kinds of regret. And first of all, I commend you for leaving that job. Some people never leave those jobs. They stay in it forever. And then it destroys their health. It breaks apart their marriages. It affects their families. I mean, it's like... No job is worth your mental health. No job is worth sacrificing your mental and physical health. Period. Yeah. Period. Done. For sure. For sure. It it would it did push me over the edge. In fact, my depression got significantly worse while I was there. And then everything, like there was a whole period where I had to really fight for myself. I had to fight for my sanity. I got dependent on pain pills and whatnot. And and I really I hold that job responsible in a in a very big way for it. I hold myself responsible mostly because I did that to myself. I let it happen to me. But still, that was that job was definitely a big part of it. And that is, I think, where the regret comes from. Because they're still probably doing that. And they're probably doing it to someone who isn't as capable of standing up for herself. And I'm a strong woman. I can stand up for myself. I have done it in the past. I have done it since. So I, I really, I don't know what happened. I should have stood up for myself. I don't know why I didn't. I Maybe it was the depression or or I, I honestly don't know. You, know. you were defeated though. Sometimes when we're totally defeated and depressed, I mean, there's a lack of energy that comes along with that. And there's a lack of motivation. Like depression is often paired with a lack of motivation. So it's, it's sort of like your brain was in a spot where it was like, sort of frozen, you know? Um, so that's where like, that's where grace, self-compassion and grace play a role. 
Um, Thank you for saying that. <laughs> you're welcome. Yes, you did the best you could with what you had. You let, you got out of that space. You did what you could to communicate. Maybe you didn't do it as to the extent that you wanted to, or as many times you wanted to to really get the point across. But they didn't. They weren't interested in hearing the truth anyway. Yeah. Um, but what you're speaking to is one of the so Dan Pink and his research identified four types of regrets that people generally generally have in their lives and regrets of, you know, moral regrets and um, relating to like doing the wrong thing or the right or wrong thing or foundational regrets. Like I wish I'd started putting money in my retirement plan sooner. I wish I'd taken care of my body better, you know, regrets of connection. I wish I'd stayed in touch with or been, you know, um, restored or poured into that relationship or whatever. But right. one of the most common forms of regret or what you're speaking to, which are regrets of boldness, regrets of boldness. I wish I'd spoken up. I wish I'd had the courage to speak up. That is one of the top regrets that people have is I wish I'd spoken up at work. I wish I'd spoken up in that relationship. I wish I'd spoken up in that interaction when I saw an injustice happen or where somebody was mistreated. That those are some of the top forms of regret that we have is I wish I'd had like the courage to be bold, essentially. Yeah. So that's what you're speaking to. And so if we know that, when we have those moments where we want to shrink and then we want to let fear dictate how we show up we can instead tell ourselves yeah you know what i regrets of boldness are one of the most common regrets people have i will not be someone who has a regret of boldness and it, and that doesn't mean being brazen it doesn't mean being aggressive it doesn't mean being in people's faces it doesn't mean telling somebody off no it's about communicating with honesty and and to the extent you can with as much kindness as possible and generosity of spirit i think that is an important thing to add right kindness and generosity of spirit you can be honest and talk about a hard thing and do it in a way that is kind and not insulting or critical of another person that is it's a fine line it's it's a not an easy thing to do but it's it's possible so i think just reminding ourselves is that we don't we're predisposed right to have these regrets of boldness and by the making a different decision we can live in a place where we have a bit more alignment and say, you know what, I'm going to advocate for myself and I'm going to advocate for what matters. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much for saying that because not everybody can afford to walk away from their job or jeopardize it in any way because for some of us, losing our job, it, it's, it, it could potentially destroy their life. Their job is that important. Maybe they're in debt. Maybe they have children to support. It could be a lot of things. Yeah. So thank you very much for saying that. But having said that, I think you still have to be very mindful of what you put up with. Because what you allow, as they say, is what will continue. And despite the significance of your job, it could take a toll on you if you don't set any boundaries. Yep. And now I wanted to ask you, you brought up asking for promotion, asking for more money and the right way to do it. So I would love to talk about that. How can we do that without being, like with, with full confidence, how can we have that conversation, but without being brazen or without coming across as entitled yeah. or anything like that? So what I'm about to share is something that is not empirically based on a study necessarily. I'm sure parts of it could be tied back to research, but it's what I did that, like I actually did what I'm about to share with you and it worked. And by the time I left corporate, I, I would imagine I was making 25 to 30% more money than I would have been making if I didn't know how to do this. Okay. So one of the things I did, there was a study done by a group called Catalyst several years ago, and they found that one of the things that can help women propel their careers most effectively is something that most women are absolutely terrified to do which is making their accomplishments known. Making your accomplishments known right. is one of the most effective ways to experience um, financial and professional growth. But most women are told, what are we told when we're little? Like, don't toot your own horn. Yeah, yeah. Like, don't, let, let your work speak for itself. Let your work speak for itself. You know, just give attention back to the team. And we want to shine a light on other people. I think that is an important point of unmuting, right? Appreciate, recognize, give credit where credit's due. And if you did something really significant, let somebody know about it. Like if you, so this is what I, one of the things I used to do, and then I'll share like the script we'll give people for how to ask for something other than a raise to get more money. Right. If a client sent me an email, that's something really great I had done to be helpful to them. They're like, oh, right. I used to plan events. I used to plan health fairs. This was like 10 years ago. Plan health fairs, right? And I'd have clients reach out be like, that was the best event we've ever had. People, so many people showed up. We were getting emails from people about how much they enjoyed it. They just sent me the email. So then I would take that email and I would forward it to my boss. And I would say, hey, and here's, this is really, what I'm about to say is really important, how I positioned it. 
because it's his ego. He runs the company, so he wants happy clients. So I said, hey, I know how important it is for you to have happy clients. And I just got this message from a very happy client and I wanted to share it with you. It made my day. I hope it makes yours. Really cool. It's a really ninja cool. move, right? It's a stealth yeah. move because yeah. I'm making sure that you see that I got this recognition that you would never have otherwise seen. Yeah. But I'm doing it in a way, in a way that also feeds like what's important to you, which is that you want our clients to be satisfied with the work that we provide. So it's a win-win. It's a win-win. Yeah. That gets documented. I also had a folder in my inbox called kudos. So K-U-D-O-S. And every time I got an email like that, I dragged it into that folder. And so when it was time for my review, I'd take those out. I would print some of those emails out and take it in with me to share. Like, so this is, I just wanted you to have this like record of this. These are some of the things I've been proudest of this year, right? About the impact I've had and the clients that I've gotten to work with and how satisfied they've been. You've got to have proof of something. Yeah. <laughs> like if you want to ask for more. And then I would communicate, here's some things I think we could be doing better or differently that I would like to contribute to, that I think I could contribute to in some way. So for me, for speaking at the time, it was like, hey, let's get me in front of more events where we're with HR leaders because if I get on stage, we can get follow-up uh, we can have the opportunity to get their contact information and follow up with them. And then that gets you in front of them in a way you couldn't have gotten in front of them as wanting to be their benefits. So there was insurance benefits that could get you in front of them in a way you couldn't have gotten in front of them before. So let's get me on more stages, do the thing that I love, which is speak. And then also I'm associated with you. So by association, you get the benefit of me working for you. And so you can then leverage those connections to get in front of people and potentially get more clients, which happened several times. Right, right. So I would come in with my track record and with my plan for the future. I'd also done some research about what people doing similar work for working for similar size companies were making. And, in, and I had gotten a master's degree and I was a health coach. And I at one point was named the number one health promotion professional in the United States. Like I got national recognition for my industry. And I'm like, I don't know what the dollar amount is, but in my head, I'm like, that is worth something. Like you now have a national leader yeah, working yeah. for you. So I didn't hide that. I would position that and say, hey, you know, I've really enjoyed, I start with appreciation. I love that I get to do so much of the work that just lights me up here so often. I really, I really do. Right. Love working here. I see so many opportunities for so many more cool things we can do to grow together. I want to have a conversation and here's, if, if, you, if you're taking notes, get your pen out if you want to make more money working for somebody else. I'd like to talk to you about how we can adjust my compensation to reflect my increased and increasing value and contributions. I would like to be making X by Y date. Is that possible here? And then you shut your mouth and then you sit and you wait. And that's what I did. And they never said no. Right. Cause they didn't want to lose me. Cause I was like a unicorn. <laughs> I was a unicorn. Like I made up my job. I did all the stuff that they, I was a face of the company. And I, and I knew that, and I knew that. I had a skill set that nobody else there had, and I knew that. And I said that arrogantly, just matter of fact, I knew I had certain skills, like I had a special set of skills, you know, that other people didn't have that was valuable to them. Yeah. And so I thought, how can I leverage this for mutual benefit? How can I get up to more of the thing that I want to do? And how can I help them use that to get more of what they want, which is clients, new clients and retaining old clients, your current clients. Sometimes the timing did not happen exactly as I asked. Sometimes the exact amount of money didn't happen. Sure. But each time it incrementally got like ratcheted up because I asked. And then if they didn't give me a response, if it had been like three months and I hadn't heard anything or two months, I didn't let it wait that long. If it had been two months and I had a response, hey, want to circle back about the conversation we had? Um, let me know when you think this might be possible by or what needs to happen for me to get to this number by X date. Like what needs to happen? Right. So I'll pause there and see if anything of that resonates or stands out. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is like everyone should be making notes of this on sticky notes and putting them up. Because <laughs> don't let this be just another podcast conversation that you listen to and then forget. Because these are like baller moves. <laughs> I don't know what baller means. I use that a lot. You nailed it. You <laughs> but nailed I think it. These are like boss moves. <laughs> these are amazing. And I wish I had known them when I was doing my nine to five because I was such a sweet corporate person who would be like, oh my God, <laughs> let me not send this email. What if this creates chaos? And yes, no, no, it, it was the team. It wasn't me. And 
always taking the blame. If the team had done something wrong, a specific person had done something wrong, I would be I would always be like, yes, this is all our fault. Let me just step up and take responsibility for this. Well, in the end, I did get told when I finally quit my nine to five, I, I was told that I'm one of the most professional person. But now that just sounds like I'm so glad you didn't make too much noise, <laughs> which, sounds, which sounds horrible <laughs> to me. So yeah, everyone needs to note these things down and start doing them because this is amazing. And I know what must have popped up in some of our listeners' head when they, they heard you say things like you were a national champion, you had all of these recognitions to your credit, and they're thinking, I am not that special. I don't have any special skills. So none of these tips apply to me. I know for a fact that this is what Mm -hmm. crossed their mind. And I just want to say that that's not true. You have to work hard, of course. You can't be someone who barely shows up and then expects to make considerably more today than you were making yesterday. That's not what Rachel is saying. So you have to work hard. But to say that you don't have anything special, that's bullshit. You have plenty to offer. You just got to figure it out. Well, can I speak to that person? Can Absolutely. I speak to that person? Because you brought that Go person ahead. up. I want to speak to that person who's like, I'm not special. Yeah, okay. please, please. I'm going to give you something you can do to get at your specialness. One, this is a practice out of the University of Michigan. It's called the reflected best self. Here's how it works. Write down a list of people that know you well, that you've worked closely with, people that you've been mentored by, people that are friends, could be bosses, people that know you well in some capacity, that have seen you in some area of your life at, 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 at your best. Send them an email and you say, hey, I'm working on some personal and professional growth. You're someone who knows me well, whose opinion I trust and who I respect and admire. Most people love having their ego stroked. Okay, so (laughs) they'll like that. And you say, could you tell me about a time where you've seen me at my best? What strengths did you see show up in me? You could even say, sometimes I deal with self-doubt and it's really hard for me to think of what it is that I really do well. And so it's hard for me and uncomfortable for me to even ask you this but I know that you're gonna give me some type of insight. I trust that something you share will be meaningful and valuable for me. So I appreciate you taking the time to respond. I mean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That per- they're, gonna res- they're gonna be flattered. They're gonna be like, yeah. oh my, and, and they're gonna be like, oh my gosh, this person needs to know this thing about themselves that they're clearly blind to. <laughs> and they're gonna reply. Yeah. You know? So then you capture that. Six to eight people you send that same email to. Copy, paste, copy, paste, copy, paste minimal work, free. And then you notice the responses that come back and you capture and document them in a Google Doc or some other file. You look through and you notice, what are the themes that I'm seeing come up consistently across these different people? I guarantee if you're talking to six to eight people, you're going to see at least one theme repeated. Right. They're not just saying that stuff to you to be nice to you, right? Like believe them. Believe them. I like to say, borrow other people's belief in you. I just posted a thing on LinkedIn about that today. Borrow other people's belief in you. And so if you do doubt yourself, to reach out to people that you see as sources of admiration, that you admire and you see as sources of insight or wisdom, ask them when they've seen you at your best and what they saw emerge in the midst of that. Right. And you can use that to start to build your confidence or even asking your boss, hey, what do I do that brings the most value to you and to this team or to the company? What do I do that brings the most value? I'm not really, I don't know. And it would really help me to know. Most bosses have never asked, have never given feedback like that to their people ever. They're not thinking about that. They should be. You can initiate that conversation. What am I doing that's bringing value? Because there may be things that you're doing that you take for granted. You think it's easy. And like, oh, I just naturally do that. Maybe you're organized or maybe you're disciplined or maybe you're really loyal or dependable. And you're like, oh, that's just who I am. And they're like, yeah, well, that's not like how everybody is. So that matters, you know? Or even asking, hey, what could I do to be an even greater contribution here? Like, what are one or two or three things that I could do that would make a significant difference to you and to this team, to our department, to this organization? Because I want to grow here. I want to grow in every way. I want to grow developmentally. I want to grow professionally, relationally, financially. And I know the only way I'm going to do that is if I continue to look forward and say, well, what can I do to continue to contribute at a high level? Yeah. 
not expecting it. Like I never expected because of tenure that I should make more money. It's been like, well, I've been here 10 years. Who cares? <laughs> if you've been status quo for 10 years, yeah. I'm not going to pay you any more money. Like, yeah, I agree. It's most jobs are merit-based jobs. Like contribute something, provide value, be of service. Like you don't just get more money because you've sat your butt in a chair for a few years longer than somebody else. I think tenure stuff yeah. is like, unless you're in academia, I suppose, but otherwise it's kind of nonsense. Like whoever contributes the most and makes the biggest impact, like yeah. that's the person that should make more money. I don't care if they're 25 or 65. Yeah, I agree with you. You, you said this when you were explaining all of these points that you created your own job. And I have done that too. I've created parts of my own job and you can do that. I know a lot of people who have done that. You just, you have to figure out what it is that your department or your company as a whole needs and just go after it. And if it's something that hasn't been done before, well, then that's even cooler because you have nothing to exceed there because you are the one setting expectations now. So that's, that's really cool. And this actually brings up this one incident that happened at my company, at my last company. There was this really cool girl in our department and she just decided to raise money. We, we had a, a day set aside for orphan for children from an orphanage to come to our office, to spend a day with us and, just have fun. So when these kids left, she decided to raise money. I don't remember the specifics. I don't remember why she did it, but she decided to raise money for that orphanage. But she was told by the head of department, uh, by the president or something, that you can't give money. We don't give money. We do things for them. We donate our time and our effort, but we don't give money. Now, she decided that that doesn't work for her. <laughs> so she just went on a mission to collect money. And by the end of that day, she had raised so much money and she had put so many people behind that little project of hers that <laughs> the, the boss had no other option but to send that money to the charity and make sure that it, it goes to the right place, the right person, and they get what they need. That's awesome. And this was such a long, long time ago, so many years back, and I still remember it. And I bet... This was something that was remembered by everyone in the office that day. And it was remembered definitely during her review. Basically, she just got up and went after this thing full steam ahead. Wow. Took initiative. So, she took initiative. People that stand out take initiative. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she didn't ask. She didn't verify that with anyone. Like, can I do this? No, she just went ahead and did it. Yeah. And honestly, there's, there's nothing more attractive more beautiful, more amazing than a truly determined woman. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a woman on a mission. That's like, like that person was like, I'm going to make this, I'm going to make this happen. Like, and come on board or get out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. I have so many questions here. So many more questions to ask you. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Go for it. Your brain. So my next question is if somebody has suffered a setback in their work, in their office, uh, you know, like in a public setting. Usually when something like that happens, it creates a lot of embarrassment around it because everyone in the team knows what has happened. So how do you recover from that? How do they come back in a way where they let it be known that, yes, I know what I did. I know how I let my team down and I will make sure not to do this again. And, you know, like still hold their head up, basically. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean... I think all of us experienced that. All, I mean, I had a moment. So after I burned out, I was reading a bunch of different books and journaling and reflecting a lot. And I realized that I had really pushed people away that I worked with, with my own pride. Like I wanted everyone to be impressed by me. And I, I had, you know, two years early, been, that's when I got that recognition of the health, being the top health promotion professional. And so I had carried this weight on my shoulders that I needed to always be the best and have the best answers, be the smartest. I said I'm number one, so I have to, you know, I put all this pressure on myself and it caused me when I was in a situation where I feel like I knew I was going to disappoint somebody or let somebody down or I wasn't going to be able to meet an expectation I wanted to be able to meet. And I would just like basically ghost people. Like I would just sort of hide or I would back off or I would not be responsive or I would have a delayed response and then they would get upset with me and then I would be resentful toward them because I'm like, you have no idea what I'm dealing with. And one of the things I did was I let myself be vulnerable. One of the quickest ways that we can build trust is through vulnerability. Yeah. And you know, Brene Brown obviously you know talks about this a lot, but I, 
I got into work one day. It was the fall of 2017 or late summer. And I, you know, just sort of put the question out there in my head. Who do you want to apologize to first? Right. And of course, the person's name who came to my mind was like the last person I wanted to talk to. (laughs) (laughs) Which is how that works, right? I'm like, oh, not her. (laughs) And I went to her like kind of tail between my legs. You know what I mean? Like, and... I said, hey, I want to apologize. I first asked her if she had 15 minutes to talk. Yep. Went into her office, sat across from her. I was really nervous. And I said, I want to apologize to you for the way that I've been showing up for the past few months. I have been um, not very approachable. I've been short. I've been irritable. I've um, not been responsive or dependable. And I've been dealing with burnout. I've been really sick. I don't know if I called it burnout at the time or just saying I'd been really sick and didn't realize how much I was exhausting myself and how it was affecting my interactions with other people. And I want to apologize to you because I'm sure that affected your ability to trust me and to trust me with your clients. And I know how important your relationships are with your clients. And so I just, I just wanted to, you know, I'm so focused on making sure people think I'm so great all the time that I let my concern about that be more important than the relationship that I had with people like you. This is not an easy conversation to have. Okay, I will say that person. Like, oh, no thanks. But I knew it was necessary. I I knew it was necessary for me to move forward. And so I remember she said to me, she said, um, you know, Rachel, like, I didn't go to college and I'm just waiting for somebody to look over my shoulder and realize, like, I don't even belong in this spot or I'm counting down the days to retirement for somebody calls me out as not basically being worthy of the role that I'm in. And she was at a pretty high level at the company. Right. And she said, you know, I think we're all kind of afraid of that in some way, being found out. And so my vulnerability with this person, I was kind of intimidated by that, you know, my vulnerability activated her vulnerability. And by the end of it, we're both like crying and hugging. And um, (laughs) it was just powerful moment of what happens if we are willing to be the first, if we're willing to be the one to initiate and say, look, I screwed up and and I see this is how it affected you and I'm sorry and I will do better. Here's what me doing better looks like. Is there any other thing that you would add about how I could best support you, how I could best work together? I'm sure there's a lot of things. Is there one thing that stands out to you as one thing I could be doing differently starting like today that would help us work better together? It changes things, right? That whole conversation. Absolutely. It changes things to be able to say that to another person. And so that I had that conversation with multiple people and some people were like, thank you. I appreciate you saying that. Other people were like, I didn't really experience you that way, but thanks. (laughs) But (laughs) it allowed me to open up and have these conversations with people, conversations that needed to be had. And it takes a lot of courage to be vulnerable, but I have found that when we screw up, one of the most helpful things that we can do is own it. Yeah, absolutely. We can't undo the past. And then communicate that we're committed to doing better in the future and asking the people that we work with, perhaps that were most affected by whatever mistake happened. Yeah. What's one thing I could do differently? so that we can continue to move forward effectively working together. Yeah. Yeah. I think there is also a lot of power to humility, right? Because most people are still so completely ruled by their ego that when someone is willing to humble themselves, it's so powerful. It's surprising, but it's also very powerful and inspiring. And then gradually other people join in. But I love everything that you've shared. All of it is so helpful. But for my last question, I don't know if I even need to ask this anymore, but I'm going to go ahead and ask anyways. Please share a moment from your life where you felt really drained, really out of confidence, but found a way to rally forward. What was it that helped you? Uh, I'll point. So obviously the burnout story is one, but I'll point to something that happened more recently. Right. So I launched my business speaking and training on site full time in the fall of September in the fall of 2019, September 2019. Okay. And then seven months later, the global pandemic hit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And when I say my only source of income was in-person speaking engagements, that is not an exaggeration. That was it. Wow. And when over 80% of your business disappears in a month and you're the primary breadwinner in your family and married to a teacher, there is a real moment of panic that sets in of like, 
what do I do? I have journal entries from that time. I had friends that sent me cards. My friend Kirsten was like, I promise you're going to be okay. You'll figure it out. Because I was, I was genuinely yeah. frightened. Yeah. Like, you know, and I had no idea, of course, how long it was going to continue. Who the heck knew we'd still be talking about it? Yeah. But it was a time where I was scared and I had a choice. I had a choice to rise to the challenge and pivot very quickly and figure it out. Or I had a choice to just throw in the towel and give up on it and just be consumed by how paralyzed I could have felt by this thing that felt like I suddenly came that I had no, literally no control over. Yeah. I remember a client reached out to me, a client that I had worked with three years earlier. I only worked with them one time. I did one workshop three years ago, three years prior. And they reached out to me on LinkedIn a couple of days into the pandemic. And they said, our people are struggling with their mental, emotional health. Do you do virtual training? And that was my door. And I yeah. said, I sure, like any good entrepreneur, I was like, I sure do. And they're like, let me figure out how to do virtual training. And, uh, <laughs> and I worked with them and crafted a three-part series. And we brought all their team together and we did it through Zoom. And, and I created a product out of that. And then I had clients that I'd worked with years before. This is the power of showing up consistently yeah. for people, especially online, right? Because I'm very active on LinkedIn and people had been following my work and saw me as a source of like inspiration and hope and uplift. And so people like, you know, human resources associations that I had spoken at years earlier started to reach out to me and they said, Hey, we need to totally upend our, our plan for our programs for this spring. We need someone to just like basically make people feel better. Can you come in and speak at our April event? And so what started to happen, I started to get asked to do, and then I would speak for, I'd say, sure. And I spoke for free. I did webinars for free. I was just like free, free, free. I just need to show people because my messaging was around building hope and resilience in the midst of uncertainty and um, how to effectively engage people in the midst of whatever was going on. And so I started to have people come to those events and then they would ask me, hey, can we hire you to come speak at this thing for our company? And I said, you sure can. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and so I started to build up momentum and then, you know, in May, May 3rd of 2020, so this is only six to eight weeks after the lockdown started, maybe, maybe six, seven weeks. Yeah. I'm out running with my husband and I get hit by a pickup truck and I fracture my back. Oh my God. And I know I'm always like, be careful what you talk about. Maybe like if you said your topic was abundance and not resilience, maybe you would just win the lottery or something. But like, <laughs> so I, this legitimately happens. I get hit by a pickup truck, I fracture my back. I am in a lot of pain. I had a training scheduled on my calendar for an HR group about literally, no joke, building hope and resilience in the midst of uncertainty two days after the accident. And, and the best position for me to be in was standing because of where the injury, where the fracture was, it was very uncomfortable to sit. So I was like, what am I going to do if I'm standing all day? I might as well like just take a bunch of Tylenol and do my work because at least it's a distraction from the pain. Yeah. So I got on and I start speaking about this and I'm wearing a back brace, which looks like a backpack. And this story starts standing out to people as they're, they're like, well, shoot, the pandemic sucks, but that really sucks. <laughs> like, and then by like, by the time we get to June and July, I'm like, ever felt like you got hit by a truck where you just feel like things just keep coming one and people could relate to that. They're yeah. like, emotionally, that's what this year feels like the yeah. dumpster fire. 2020 and 2021. And the story started to stand out. The thing that I wish never happened that I still like, I'm not glad if I could have the body back that I had and its functionality before the accident, I would like to have that body back. I yeah. really would. There's still some lingering injuries that I'm dealing with and PTSD among other things. Having said that, I look at that situation and say, wow, I could have let all of that completely defeat me. Yeah, so true. But I believed that I was here for a reason and that people needed what I had to offer and that despite it not looking the way I might have expected it to look, that I could still choose to do something with that and to have an impact despite whatever limitations were put on me. Yeah. And the gift of that time was that no one was traveling. So I wasn't missing out on work because I could just do it all from behind my desk. Yeah, Because I wouldn't have been able to travel for months because of the accident. I would not have been able to fly. I would not have been able to do all of that. 
And so it was almost like a gift that accident happened when it did because it positioned me. And then now I've done over 300 virtual learning experiences in the past two and a half years. And my business grew 50% year one to year two. <laughs> wow. It's on, I know, <laughs> on track to, to grow. I'm ahead of pace from where I was last year, this year. It's amazing. And yeah. I've worked so flipping hard. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> You know, but it's like a choice. We, ch we don't choose what happens to us or around us, but we yeah. do. There's a book called Permission to Feel, Mark Brackett, but we do control how we respond to it. We always get to choose our response. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love, I love everything you've shared. And I'm so glad that we're closing the episode on this because I think we all needed to hear this, especially right now with the, all of this discussion going on on work-life balance on how people want to show up so far as their work is concerned I think I love that you are sharing that you work so hard and in so much pain like the kind of pain that you know only someone who's actually going through it can imagine and but you showed up you showed up and you were consistent and you took risks and you really like did everything that needed to be done and yeah, you, you got what you deserved. Your company had such a great year, despite the fact that this was not a great year for most businesses. So I love that. And I'm, I'm glad everyone, like I'm, I hope everyone's making note of it, note of everything you've shared. This has been such an incredible episode. That's it for today's episode. So did you love it or did you love it? Thank you for joining me today and sharing your time. If you're eager for more, head on over to onhertermspot.com for show notes, guest information, downloads, and more. And if you want to be a part of the conversation, ask questions, and share your struggles with other powerful women, join my intimate community over on Facebook. The link will be in the episode description. Until next week, this has been another episode of On Her Terms Podcast.